millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Scarlett. Welcome back, guys. You're listening to Style Over Substance. We're just two friends talking about our experiences working inside the fashion industry and also our observations from outside the fashion industry. It's sometimes serious, but it's definitely always a good laugh. Always. We release new episodes every Tuesday. So subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platforms. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Weather's great. Mm. Uh, I actually tanned my back. I think I told you this earlier, but I was yeah. uh, working the tan. Um, my back is definitely darker, which is good. It doesn't really get enough sunlight. Um, but yeah, how, how's it going with you? I too am working on my tan. So I have two office days. One of those days was today. Another of those days is tomorrow. And I am like desperately wanting to be outside. Um, I just, I love the sunshine. I'm a magpie to it. Bless one of my colleagues was like, but like, you know, I hope you're wearing SPF. And I was like, yeah, of course. I'm safe in the sun, but this is my summer to get a tan. Yeah. And I'm also glad of the weather because I was going to go away in August. And I've decided against it. And this kind of week, granted, if I had this week off, I would have loved it. But I've got a week penciled sort of later on in August. And I'm like, if this is the weather, I might take a few of those days off, you know, and just sit and be still in this weather. Yeah. Um, I do love it. I really do. Mm. Although I don't like dressing for this weather. I like it because most of my wardrobe is like wintry stuff mm. and I try not to buy summery stuff. So it's kind of just a, it's an excuse for me to wear stuff that I haven't worn in a while or, you know, you don't need a coat, you know, you can always have a good outfit when you don't yeah. need it. It's just hard to like put on clothes when it's this clammy, but... What's your fashion story? (laughs) (laughs) So my fashion story 
is Lewis Hamilton graced the cover of Vanity Fair this month. Yes, he does. And I don't have a statistic on how many men have been on the cover of magazines, but it's not many. Uh, I don't know magazines in general. It's a very big category. But you you know what I mean? Cover person is not normally male. Yeah, I think it's like men's health or it's yeah. vanity fair when they have, you know, um, like during awards season, they have the group photos. Yeah. Um, yeah, no one cares about the men. But he is a cover boy all by mm-hmm. himself. And it's great. He's really into his fashion. I think he has been on other magazine covers before, but probably nothing as acclaimed as Vanity Fair. Um. And I just think he loves playing with his clothes. Whether you like him or not, he's an elite athlete. I know he's quite a polarising person, but he's an elite athlete. He's into his clothes. Fashion is something he clearly cares about. And he's got a really interesting life and a story. And if, yeah, it makes total sense. And I just think I'm just, I'm about it. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I saw the pictures. There's two covers. Mm, I like the um, pink one. Yes, the pink one was a great look. I agree. Um, he was dressed as well. He always looks quite good. Um, but then there was <laughs> one where he's in the bar. He always looks quite good. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I was I was thinking about something as I said that. So hold on. The second cover is him in the bath and I saw online some girls swooning over him now when I say quite good is that he looks good but not in the way that lots of other girls mm. say it's good like I don't I don't fancy he, him no I don't fancy him. he's not for me but I appreciate I mean, the look exactly yeah. like, he always like dresses well and looks quite good <laughs> <laughs> But the um, bath one, him with a few diamonds on, mm. uh, steaming up in the bath, got some girls. Um, Hot and heavy. I would say, yeah. Clammy in this weather. Um, <laughs> Love it. Yeah, so, I mean, not for me, but great covers. Yeah, I, I. it makes you think as well that there needs to be more, like I love to see a fashion man I really do like I think Lewis Hamilton's straight as far as we're concerned but it also kind of doesn't matter I love to see a man enjoying fashion and I think that needs to be celebrated just as much as women because there are men who really care about what they wear and it might not be overt his is because it's more like out there daring fashion but there will be those men like friend of the podcast brian mm-hmm. where like he low-key really thinks about his well not even low-key but in a in the way of lewis really thinks about what he's wearing he invests in quality and i think that fashion is for everyone right yeah for sure definitely And also, like, I think maybe we're a bit tired of critiquing women's fashion. Mm. Um, And it's, you know, men and male stylists come to the fashion table with a different approach. um, And that's quite cool to see. Um, Yeah. 
I think that at the moment, not even Jed Z, but like younger millennials or Gen Z, um, a lot of guys online are more involved in fashion, more daring with fashion. You know, even little things like wearing nail polish or mm. wearing pearls, that's been quite big trend in male fashion in the in the past couple of years. Um, but sometimes I feel like everyone's doing that. If every, like, I feel like all the guys who want to be known as fashion guys, I don't want to say all, I take it back, but a lot is like, that's the the only daring fashion style which is available to them. But there's lots of really clever ways of dressing, really smart, sleek, sophisticated, interesting ways of dressing. It's not all just Balenciaga, like, streetwear mm. or pearls, you know? For sure. And there's so like there's so many avenues to go down, whether it's paying homage to like I don't know, more vintage fashion. I don't there's just so many ways that it doesn't have to be the glaringly obvious. You don't have to either be Harry Styles or I don't know, yeah, there's there's so many ways to interpret it. Um I remember so when we were at school, and not that I'm calling this teacher a fashion guy but I'm more using this as an example of it could just simply be about matching your tie to your socks. We had a teacher called Mr. Wear and his tie, socks and pocket square would match every day. Do you remember? I, you know what? I must have scrubbed that from my memory. I think that's a really public school boy thing. Oh, for sure it is. But, like, there will be a fashion take on that of, like, having fun with something or, like, whatever. His was in a very, like, elementary, very... It was a yellow tie, yellow socks, yellow pocket square. Whereas there are simple nods you can take your fashion to a sort of next level without it being wearing nail varnish, wearing a pearl necklace all of that stuff or being a bit femme that doesn't have you don't have to go down that route whatsoever and yeah I, lo- I like it when someone pays a bit of extra attention into their fashion it's, a re- like, it's nice when someone takes care of themselves I think that's what it says to me yeah definitely definitely that's why I always say that I love a man who has a pinky ring because to me, it's like, you've thought about that. That's not an accidental ring. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's another pinky ring. For me, it's like, a, it's a matching your tie with the socks thing. You woke yeah. up this morning and you put it on. Uh, you woke up this morning and you put your pinky ring on. Exactly. <laughs> um, what is yeah. your fashion story? So I actually have two. One's a little one. And then... One's more of a fashion story. Um, so which one do you want? The little one. Okay. So I've been thinking about this for a while now. Um, and I, my next project, okay, because, you know, a couple years ago, we had the cross-stitch fiasco. <laughs> oh, for our loyal listeners, the cross-stitch fiasco. Has that ever finished? You finished that, right? it's framed it's actually i hope so yeah my grubby mitts were pouring that thing like over that thing for what was close to a year i need to actually put it in 
I need to clean it. Like, so the, it needs to be laundered. Like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on from that nightmarish time. Um, I have been thinking that I want to start getting into sewing clothes. I have, yeah, I have a sewing machine. I've had one for years. And now it's been unearthed again as my mum's been like moving things. Um, and the reason why I'm interested in doing it is I think I've probably mentioned I love a I love a midi dress, summer dress situation. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes when you're browsing online and you're like, I'm looking for a particular thing. And I just want that one thing to fit me really well. And I want to have it in different colors. Yeah. But then it's either really like you find the one you want and you're like, I don't want to spend a hundred pounds on this. It's a bit mm-hmm. sneaky. Or you don't quite find what you're after because it might not be in fashion. Or you find what you're looking for and it's like on Shein's website. And I'm like, no, I don't want to buy from Shein. So I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm not asking for something complex, you know, quite a simple kind of dress. I feel like I could buy a pattern and use my sewing machine, buy some fabric. Yeah. And hone a new skill. I think it's a useful skill to have as well. It definitely is. I've made stuff in the past and there's a real sense of accomplishment. And also you can execute it to whatever level you want to. Um, I have had a few stop-start projects. It's pretty classic me. I get really into something and then I move on. Um. I collect hobbies almost. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Um, but I have got like a few, I know I've got at my parents' house like bundles of fabric where I was going to make a dress with a pattern. Just never did. But it's a really good thing to take up. And the amount of things that I see, and I've got one or two dresses that I love, and I'm just time away from being like, right, I'm going to copy this pattern. I'm going to make this in like five versions because this dress just works for me. I love it. It is my fail safe. And if I could buy this in other prints or other colours, I would, but it's not made in those. So let's make them. And there's something really cool about that. I definitely think you've got the patience and the creativity to do it. So I think you should. I think I can do it. I believe Mm. in myself. For sure. I need a bit of time. I need like dedicated space to do it. So I'm not starting it yet. Yeah. My my dining table is already under a lot of stress <laughs> between working from home and whatnot. Um, but I feel like that might be a winter hobby, you know? Yeah, I definitely, knitting is a winter hobby for me. Mm-hmm. Having yeah. just playing, like doing stuff with yarn in the summer just isn't the one for me um certain things are for the colder months that I think because you want to be outside less anyway my hobbies fall by the wayside when it comes to summer yeah as they should listen when it's summer outside as they should I was gonna say because I'm living hot girl summer but I'm not (laughs) I'm not even living warm girl summer tepid girl summer Uh, I'm just um, just living summer. Um, That'll be my plan to prep 
yeah sunglasses and I love I love a cold as well so if I can pin down a, a linen dress or a you know dress, what it is it's finding the fabric the fabric yeah, is the key to it all the pattern could be anything if you've got good fabric that will do all the talking yeah I agree because I was looking at some patterns um earlier today and it was really about oh this could look amazing but it's really down to what I find yeah in, in the fabric shop so um yeah best know, of luck that's my first little one my second one is quite an interesting bit of uh discussion that I came across online so this tiktoker slash youtuber called Erica she buys a lot of luxury fashion and I've come across her on YouTube before but I for the first time came across her on TikTok and um, she had a really interesting video where she was talking about the quality of Amina Mawadi's shoes okay she, she bought a pair of Amina Mawadi shoes and the quality was terrible like and then she proceeded to show all these pictures of other people's shoes. People who'd like reached out to her saying, look what happened to my new shoes. Look at the quality. Oh she had a picture of a display shoe that was in their store window that had like glue, like um, mm. glue kind of squeezing out of the sole area between the base of the inner base of the shoe and the outer sole. Um, things like the, the, plastic perspex that's used for those clear shoes like the um, ankle straps would snap off the crystal brooches that are on the front of the shoe would fall off completely but somebody had actually sent her a picture of both those crystal brooches falling off both feet um studs coming away from the shoe glue appearing in places like really bad and she was basically talking about how there's obviously something fundamentally wrong with their production yeah for this to happen um and then obviously it begged the question of luxury influencing because Mamina Mawadi's shoes were particularly like four or five years ago and even now so but more back then they were everywhere they were on the timeline all the time everyone was buying them raving over them and they were that she was saying this um this woman she's based in the state she was saying like the shoes are a thousand dollars so for shoes to be that expensive to have production issues to this scale is ridiculous and obviously no one's gonna like not many people are openly talking about quality issues mm. when it's the luxury sphere or expensive arena or fashion i mean she got a lot of not um kickback and knockback based on her first video what are your thoughts i think whoever's complaining about that is probably just jealous that she's spending that amount on a pair of shoes and is sort of probably being like well if you're gonna spend that like you have to whatever like that's what that screams to me i don't care where you're buying your shoes from technically even if you're buying your shoes from primark they're meant to serve a purpose the first time you wear them something's not meant to happen to them whatever mm. if it shouldn't matter about the price that you spend on an item if i bought some jeans from primark and they like ripped 
all up my groin the first moment I wore them and they're in the right size. Um, I don't care. Then they're not serving their purpose as being jeans or trousers. And like that goes without saying with shoes. If you've put an embellishment on something, put it on properly, make sure it's secure. And I'm guessing the fact that other people came forward, it's not like she's kicking footballs with these shoes and ruining them. There's clearly an issue. And I think I think footwear must be such a difficult thing anyway, because the wear and tear of footwear is unlike anything else. I can't help it. If I'm wearing my best shoes, but I go on the tube and someone steps on my foot, that's not my fault. I can try and hide my shoes. I can try and protect them. If someone steps on my foot, that is out of my control. You can sometimes, like someone could wheel a suitcase over your shoes. You know, like there are things that you can't avoid happening. So I think footwear is a really tough industry because obviously a shoe shouldn't, an embellished shoe probably can't withstand someone doing a commute in them. But they kind of should because they're a pair of shoes and they're fit for purpose. But there are certain things where you're kind of probably just meant to stand and look pretty and you're not meant to spend a whole day in them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Shoes is tough. She did say, like, in the case of Amina Mawadi, she wouldn't encourage anyone to buy the shoes. She said, listen, if you want the style, go for the jeeps. Because at least you're not spending, like, £600 on something that's not going to last you six months, essentially, she said. Um, interestingly enough, she did, and this is this is really where influencer culture is serving a purpose because the likes of me who doesn't own a single pair of designer shoes, mm, I do own a pair of design shoes, but they were off eBay and heavily discounted. I've never walked into like a designer shoe store and yeah. bought them all price. So I don't know these things. I don't know which brand is better than another. But when she came up with a follow-up video, she explained the top three best quality footwear based on her experience and other people who'd like reached out to her or been in her comments and said, this is why I buy this brand because I love them. They're so hard wearing. Mm. So this is the lineup. Okay. Um, Jimmy Choo. Mm -hmm. I've heard their quality is brilliant. So Jimmy Choo, she said Christian Louboutin. The quality is good. The comfort factor is bad. Exactly what she said. She said, you have to find the pair that's comfortable. Not all of them are comfortable, but they last a really mm. long time. Um, and then she said, this is a pair I don't own, but I've had a lot of people tell me how amazing the quality is. And it's Manolo Blahniks. You know what? You know, I'm proud of that because those are three top tier shoe companies and you've got to, you've got to pave the way. You've got to earn your stripes and they're they're very popular and it's good to know that their quality is is up there and it's not just their name that they're sort of riding on. Yeah, they are footwear first mm. brand. They do handbags and accessories and stuff, but their bread and butter is footwear. No. Not buying a handbag from Manolo Blahnik or Louboutin. <laughs> but, 
I mean, it's each to their own, but no thank you. Good to know that these aspirational shoes mm. that I can get myself are actually... Yeah. Do I want to say worth it? I don't know what the cost per wear is, but definitely um, I won't regret it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good to know. Okay. We interrupt this broadcast to say, go follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Starloves of Substance Pod. There you'll find our weekly fashion topics, all the stuff that we discuss in each episode, and our polls. Or reach out to us at styleoversubstancepodcast at gmail.com for new suggestions of topic discussions or even to share your own fashion stories. We also have a YouTube channel, Style Over Substance Podcast, if you'd rather listen to our episodes over there. Back to the episode. The sad news came through, actually as of day of recording, the Japanese fashion designer Izzy Miyake passed away mm. so straight away we messaged each other saying let's do an episode on Izzy Miyake and actually I've always wanted to do an episode on him mm-hmm. I really love Japanese designers I went to a Japanese designer exhibition god it's got to be like five ten I mean five and ten is very different long time ago um at the V&A mm-hmm. and it was amazing and um, I think Japanese fashion maybe there's an episode in that generally um but yeah Izzy Miyake passed away another fashion great has has gone yeah and this is coming off the back of um uh, oh my god, my mind has gone blank. Former Lanvin designer, you know who I'm talking about, <laughs> passed away. Was it 2020 or 2021? Mm-hmm. And we were speaking about back then how it feels like these really big names are passing away. We had um, Elba Albaz, that's his name. We also had Thierry Mugler pass away. Mm. Um, now we have Isimiaki pass away, and they are like Penzo. Oh, Yes, we. That's from like the same generation yeah. of massive names of designers who maybe kind of younger generations now probably just know them from their world famous perfume, you know, <laughs> like Angel and things like that. Um, but yeah, they were all designing completely different things. And made names for themselves, became really big names, especially in like the 90s and the early 2000s. Mm. One by one in close succession, it seems like. And moving on to, you know, the other side. Yeah, super sad. I I don't know if... I, I I think this is true about music art everything I think the generation that we grew up in 
we were on the cusp of admiring greats of maybe the generation before us. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say our generation has raised greats. Like, I don't think our children will listen to Harry Styles. The I was same, like music, the same way that we will listen to, whether it's the Beatles, Queen, like different, that music, there's certain music that lives on and there's certain music that doesn't. And we probably produce less of that now. There's probably loads of reasons for it. And I think similarly with fashion, maybe it's because the game is harder or life is so fast paced that things don't linger, whatever it might be, that things are oversaturated. But I can't think, I used to love five years ago, Peter Peloto, Mary Catranso, their their, um, prints and all of that stuff were amazing. I used to live for seeing their next collections. I don't even know if they're still showing anymore, you know? Uh, It's so hard to make it in this game that I don't know if you can build like a super brand in this space as they used to back then. So I don't know if like it really is dying out. And it's the same even with supermodels. Like I think that's kind of dying out and all of that stuff. But anyway, I digress. I don't want to compare our generation that consisted of what twenty years, let's say twenty years yeah. span, compared to like the previous fifty, sixty years of fashion. Exactly, that would be unfair, yeah. You know, um, but of course, the nineties in itself is remembered as one of the golden eras of fashion. You know, besides, let's say, like the fifties. And then again, there was a period of time during the like swinging 60s. Um, but I do think there are a couple of names that will probably live on to be quite big names. Um, but do they own their own brands? No, I think they design for bigger, more established yeah. brands, which kind of goes to your point about those independent designers that you were mentioning. It's like, well, not necessarily independent, but like smaller brands um, not being able to survive. So um, Balmain's designer, what's his face? You know, Olivier. Olivier, that's it. I think he's probably one name mm-hmm. that will live on. Uh, Virgil would have. And mm-hmm. like Virgil would have and probably still will, but like Virgil would have been up there. Um, I think whether we like it or not, I think Demna Vesalia will as well for his, um, his, his like trolling us basically for the past <laughs> seven years. Um, but I do think some names will live on. Do mm. we look back on them as the you know, former greats with rose glasses? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. So Issey Miyake, one of his, like, he actually famously said in an interview that he didn't want to be known as the designer that survived the atomic bomb. Yeah. So he was born, I think it was in 1938 in Hiroshima, Tokyo. Not Tokyo. Hiroshima, Japan. um, Shortly, obviously, before the atomic bomb. Mm. And... But that is not something we're going to linger on as he wishes. 
Um, he studied graphic design and wasn't so interested in fashion until sort of influenced by his sister. Mm-hmm. And after studying graphic design in Tokyo, he went to Paris and was an apprentice for Guy La Roche. And he worked with our friend Hubert de Givenchy. Mm-hmm. Um, where allegedly he sketched like 50 to 100 sketches a day. <gasps> so basically, from what he, he entered a fashion competition, I think back in Japan, and he didn't go very far because he studied graphic design. So he can sketch beautifully at this point, but doesn't have any of the pattern making sewing skills. Mm, okay. Um, but like clearly that's not an issue yeah I think that if you are committed to sketching a lot drawing you get better it's like a muscle isn't it that you exercise so I can completely imagine that he was sketching that much a day yeah Um, also the fact that he was like working during a time that Uber the Givenchy was still around and working. You know what I mean? We've talked about this. Yeah. Like, of time really just fucks Blows me. my mind. <laughs> it is insane. Like, okay, granted, Isimaki was 87 when he passed, so he wasn't young. But when you think about, like, we've spoken how, like, Christian Dior and Yves Saint Laurent were working at the same period of time that... Um, Givenchy was around working yeah. and Isimaki who's just died was around Is it, oh it's really weird it's like that Egyptian pyramid closer to the moon landing thing yeah and also I think this was around the time when he worked he was an apprentice for Guy Laroche and worked with Hubert um, around the time that Givenchy was working with Audrey Hepburn Yes. Like, this, this wasn't like some downfall of Givenchy and like some. This was a really big time in the timeline of that. This would have been like during the 60s. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, go on, sorry. Um, so then in 1970, um, at 22, he founded. I think that's correct, Mass, but I'm really sorry if it's not. Um, yeah, he founded Miyaki Design Studio, and that is sort of where all his fashion stuff took off. Um, and most importantly, in the late 80s, so a decade on, arguably two, is when the famous pleating came into fruition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... You see Miyaki, I think. So when you think of Isimiyaki's work, you obviously think of pleating, the line, please, please. Um, please, please. Please, very cute. Um, and his kind of, every everyone who speaks about Isimiyaki focuses on that, like, that textile fabrication, his passion for inno- like 
the cross between like traditional ways of making things and like technological advances when it comes to making things and blending them two together and pleats sound really like boring it kind of sounds like it could be the thing your grand wore you know her like yeah. pleated skirts or it's like you know not the most um interesting fabric to work with or design to work with but he became really famous for this and created really loose comfortable fitting clothing um that really is quite popular now i definitely think that though that sort of pleated cord loose fitting loungewear has come back into being fashionable um so we can still see his um influences now yes so what made his pleats so different was he developed this new process of getting that crinkle in the fabric and it meant that the pleats essentially wouldn't wrinkle or like fall out of what's the word of its shape and its form because normally with pleats you have to iron in the pleats to keep them pleated mm-hmm. um so it was taking paper and wrapping it around the fabric and like heat pressing it in order to create that I want to say it's like a concertina effect, like it springs, you know? And yeah, um, yeah so that is really popular now. I have a set that is a bit of a rip-off, a bit of a rip-off, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I love it. And it's sort of thing that you just like throw in the wash and it doesn't need to be ironing. It doesn't need any sort of special hair. You just throw it in the wash, leave it to dry, put it on and his stuff looked effortless but really you know when someone who wears an isimaki suit it's like someone who really cares about the way they look and they wear different things you know what i mean my set isn't like that because it's from h&m but (laughs) but when you see other people wear it you're like that's the person who thinks about fashion and likes things that are not trend driven yeah, I think that's a great point. There's two points there for sure. Um, the first being the pleats and pleats, please. So that's his like most famous and affordable clothing line that he did. And in those lines, he had clothes that were like that never creased that the pleats yeah they stayed in they were treated coated fabric time and time again like however much you wash them by like in the you could put them in the machine they weren't kind of this whole um because it was more affordable he tried and worked hard to make sure they could be like machine washable but still come out with the correct pleats and all of that stuff um and that that is a huge thing that he's known for and was known for his main lines as well. Um, and it's it doesn't have to be this fuddy-duddy library, librarian-style pleated skirt. It can be really clever, really interesting. And like you said, they played around with it on paper and it just made all these different sort of silhouettes and shapes. Um, and this Pleats Please line was actually and remains to be one of the first and best examples of gender-free clothing 
way before sort of the era that we're in now. Um, yeah, definitely. I've never thought of it like that. It's just easy clothing that can be worn by anyone, really. Mm. It's a dress, but it's also a tunic on someone, you know? It, yeah. The trousers, it's like a, a tunic as such. Um, it's, yeah, it's really a sleek way of genderless fashion, if that's what you're into. Yeah, exactly. And then the other point you touched on was about it being sort of above trends and he was somebody who was very anti-trend again sort of going against the grain a bit before like now things aren't as trend-led necessarily but he even would refer to his designs as clothing rather than fashion and was very much about having something that he designed that someone could wear in 10 years time but maybe they just pair it with that season's trousers and that clothes are meant to live on and it's not just meant to be this thing and I think his first line had really simple things like very plain jersey bodies and all of this stuff where it wasn't reinventing the wheel. He was designing clothes that could last and matter for years to come, um, which I think also is quite Japanese. I think Japanese fashion does tend to be a bit more um, away from trend focus and just a bit more like innovative Mm -hmm. and playing with shape, playing with things, but it's not so much about pattern, it's about creating something that is, that lasts. I don't know, like Yoji Yamamoto, like different names come to my mind and when I think of their designs, you don't think of like, yeah, that was Summer's it piece. You think of things that, if that's your style, you'll wear that for forever. Yeah, I agree. When you were saying that, correct me if I'm wrong, is Uniqlo Japanese? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Let me, um, I'll fact check that right now. <laughs> Very much um, that's Yeah, it's, it's Japanese. Because I think that the version of Japanese fashion that we in the West get to see is definitely around that idea of simple designs, timeless. Uniqlo is definitely about that. You're going in there to fine pieces you can wear all the time they go with other things good quality decent price like it's it's got a more of that sort of ethos behind it whereas in yeah. the West, fashion is fashion is for show in that sense um when kind of researching a bit more about him i really got the understanding that he was quite a humble guy and i think that translated into his fashion so touched on um about him not wanting to be known or too closely tied to an incredibly massive moment in world and japanese history which is the obviously the explosion of the atomic bomb in hiroshima um he for his few for when he passed, he's asked for no funeral or memorial, which is quite a big thing. Is like, yeah, for a lot of people, that's their last wish. 
And so to say I don't want any of that like pomp and circumstance really shows that he was he was about not having too much fuss. Um, and also when people described what he created as quote unquote making art, he really refuted that and said, no, he's just making things. So he yeah. was a designer at heart who liked to make things and create things and develop things, but didn't want it to be known or exalted as art or a work of art or something that, you know, something grander. Um, and I think that speaks to, as you were saying, his ready to wear line of please, please. Mm. Something really worn is utilitarian in that sense. It's easy and it's timeless and there's no fuss or frills. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that, I think that he was really big about the art and fashion thing that you said. I think that what, he really tried to collaborate with artists and talk about that art and fashion could be combined and that people people wanted to wear artwork rather than their... I think he was trying to distinguish is fashion art and he was sort of saying that they should be paired together and that you can emphasise an artist's work on fabric and things like that. And I think he was, I just think he was a collaborator and I think he, I think he just stood in a very different lane than a lot of other designers and had a really different approach. Mm -hmm. I think for sure his completed kind of collections, which still live on, I mean, I think he retired, famously retired from fashion like 20 odd years ago or something. Um, but even as his line and his fashion line continues today, his same design aesthetics live on and they will continue to live on. It's such a cult classic brand. You know, it's for those who really love fashion, appreciate it, know a bit about fashion history and who want to buy into something which is classic in its own right, Um his stuff comes in all kinds of colours, all sizes, it's stretchy, it's comfortable. And I think that in itself is his legacy, you know, that we are still wearing and buying and loving Isimiyaki's clothing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so I don't know if you're aware that there was a really weird friendship between Isimiyaki and Steve Jobs. I didn't know about a friendship, but I knew that he will turtlenecks. So the Steve Jobs, yeah, uniform was a black turtleneck, the Levi's 501s, I believe. And then was it like those New Balance shoes, something like that, maybe? Um, the black turtleneck, I never knew that that was Izzy Miyake. I think there's a really big discussion here regarding this, because what I see a lot, and I'm pretty sure you see it, is, you know, people who are, like, aspiring millionaires and billionaires and all that, they always like to say and use as an example, like, oh, people who make, you know, the real money aren't wasting all their money on fashion. They're not out here peacocking, buying Gucci this, Gucci that. They're putting their money where it really matters. And then it's like, hold on, these stinking, filthy, rich guys, you think that's just a black turtleneck? You're mistaken, that's Isimiyaki. 
that's put, that's cost them a few hundred dollars for the most basic garment that you could find in I don't know M and S, and it's not it's not basic mm. like it appears to be, but that's fashion. That is expensive garments. Levi's five hundred ones aren't cheap. Yeah, you know the cheapest thing he's probably wearing are his New Balances. You can get New Balances for like forty quid, and that's the cheapest thing he's wearing. So it, it really does point to significance of fashion. We cannot escape it. Even if you are a tech nerd, Steve mm. Jobs was a bit of a marketeer in himself, but you know they're still wearing really exclusive brands. It's like if you know, you know. Yeah, and I actually read something that was implying that the Izumiaki turtleneck was part of this sort of like unconscious, like elite performer sort of aesthetic or ethos of like this utilitarian thing that you put on this uniform so that you can perform your job to a higher spec because you're not having to worry about that it's like what am I gonna wear well clearly I'm gonna wear my black turtleneck and my Levi 501s and like jobs done and so you create more headspace was the implication that I read which I found quite interesting and who knows but supposedly when Steve Jobs was like I really like your black turtleneck Izzy Miyake sent him about a hundred this guy can afford it so that's then I guess why it became the uniform or whatever but yeah supposedly then he provided I don't know if hundreds is obviously like a hyperbole but he sent him quite a few yeah and like you said that polo neck could be from anywhere mate that could be from M and S you're not you're not shaking our ground with that yeah maybe they were really silky maybe they had a bit of like cashmere through it I'm sure Mm. I hope so Um, I'm sure it was a beautiful turtleneck but again you know that's the look you're going for and that's but it does add to the um, the legend and the status of the brand yeah exactly like that Steve Jobs is wearing it yeah, and he's become a, a godlike figure in himself. And so, yeah. Yeah, that was really interesting, too. What is our poll for this week? Well, I don't know. Because, so, what what do you think of when you think of Izzy Miyake? Um... Well, I have to think of pleats, 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 and the perfumes, which is everywhere. Mm. So, yeah, I definitely think of pleats and sort of silhouettes, but my dad was also huge. <laughs> he loves Izzy Miyake. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess, I don't know, what is a poll about, is it? I don't even know if I'm saying that. I swear it's like, is a Miyake? I'm not Japanese, so I really can't correct <laughs> Yeah, I'm probably butchering it. Mm. What I have is, 
do we feel like the 2020s are an end of an era? <sighs> yeah, for fashion greats. Yeah. Yeah, are the 2020s the end of an era for the fashion greats who walked before? again for tuning in to another episode of style over substance guys don't forget to check out our instagram or spotify to respond to this week's poll bye When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.